0: Hello and welcome. This is Twenty One. Episode 5.4 The Dark Heart Welcome back to Twenty One. We have spent the last three weeks looking at the construction of the fifth wonder on our list. The great pyramid of Giza. Certainly one of, if not the most magnanimous construction project in history, and it has been in the spotlight of mankind since its completion. It took about 20 years to build and was so massive and impressive that historians, archaeologists, architects, etc., even today, do not understand how the Egyptians built this. Even with our modern technology and heavy machinery, 20 years would be almost impossible for us to construct the pyramids today. But because the Great Pyramid has been in the spotlight of history pretty much since its completion, it has seen a lot of famous people come to its walls and been a part of a number of major events in Egyptian history. The history of the Great Pyramid of Giza is one that is a long, rather sad tale, but one that continuously reminds us that the sheer magnitude of the Great Pyramid of Giza struck awe into the entirety of mankind for more than 4,000 years. But before we get into what the ancient historians said about the pyramid, we first have to address the elephant in the room. What happened to the body of Khufu along with all his treasures? Sadly, we will never have a definite answer to this question. We have no way of knowing for sure when the Great Pyramid was robbed, or even if the pharaoh himself was buried in it at all. In regards to that second point, about the pharaoh even being buried in his own pyramid, I see no reason why we shouldn't believe that he was buried there. I mean, the pharaoh had just spent 20 years worth of manpower, wealth, and stone to build this pyramid. It would have honestly been a karmic injustice if he was not buried in it. And everything we know about Egyptian burials tells us that he would have been buried in this tomb. But this much quote-unquote unguarded loot would prove to be too much temptation for some men. As we have mentioned in previous episodes, the Egyptians buried their pharaohs in style. The sheer weight of gold, jewels, food, and other valuables buried with a pharaoh was obviously tempting. The Great Pyramid of Giza honestly could have remained secure for a thousand years. Or it could have been broken into and robbed not a decade after its completion. We will never know. Either way, the point of this is, by the time people finally opened up the pyramid, the treasure and body of Khufu were long gone. But I don't want to get too far off track here or too ahead of the story. When the Great Pyramid was looted is... Not as relevant to us here. But people didn't come from all over the world to admire the pyramid for its treasure. They came to look at the pyramids themselves. And obviously, the first great ancient historians made sure to come check out the massive, and ancient even by their time, stone monuments. By the time Herodotus, the famous Greek historian, got to the pyramids, they were already almost 2,000 years old. He describes the pyramids as follows. The pyramids too are astonishing structures, each of them equal to the many of the most ambitious works of Greece. Considering that just about half of Herodotus' list of the wonders of the ancient world were Greek, as we will see later on in the show, this is a profound statement. The Hellenization of Egypt after the conquest of Alexander brought more and more people to Egypt, and to the pyramids themselves. As Alexandria became the leading city in the world, men from all corners of the Old World would come to the city to trade, learn, or explore. The Giza Plateau was just a short boat trip down the Nile from Alexandria. So the curious nature of historians and learners from all over the world came to admire and wonder at the Great Pyramid. However, as is usually the case in history, this time did not last. By the time of Rome and Augustus Caesar's defeat of Mark Antony and Cleopatra, the Egypt of old began to fade. Egypt as a romantic nation of the past was transformed into a grain-producing machine. The floodplains of the Nile River is one of the most fertile places in the world and also one of the most stable the land on either side of the Nile would get flooded every year from rains that would fall around its source in modern-day Uganda. This flooding would then also deposit mineral-rich mud and silt from the bottom of the river onto the fields, making it one of the only stable food sources in the ancient world. That's why it was valued so high. And this was all as the Romans saw it. So much so that Pliny the Elder, one of the most famous Roman historians, tells of a man who thought so highly of himself that he inscribed on the pyramids themselves a list of his personal achievements. Talk about graffiti. Such a disgrace to the pyramids would have been unthinkable to the ancient Egyptians. But sadly the grandeur of Egyptian history was of little to no concern to the Romans. To them, Egypt was their food bank, Rome actually became so dependent on Egyptian grain that whenever a drought would hit or pirates would attack their merchant ships crossing the Mediterranean, there was a severe risk of famine in the empire. But this fall from grace for the pyramids was not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the pyramids have been standing for more than 4,000 years. They were not going to be the center focus of the world for all those years. And it wasn't until the Middle Ages that people began to take notice of the pyramids again. I do not mean to say that, however, no one came to Egypt to visit them, or that they lost any of their magnitude. But what I do mean is that future kingdoms and empires, both inside and outside Egypt, saw the pyramids differently than the ancient world did. The medieval world saw the massive stone monuments as just stone, stone that could be used for a better purpose. The Great Pyramid of Giza stood as it was intended from about 2550 BC to about 1200 BC, so a little more than 1300 years. But around 1200 BC, the white limestone casing of the pyramids started to be stripped away. The stone was needed to build other cities, Temples, tombs, and other important Egyptian buildings, and instead of quarrying fresh stone, the rulers of Egypt decided to strip the pre cut stone off the pyramids. This could not have been an easy task. With the way the pyramids were built, removing sections must have been a monumental and rather dangerous task. And with the outer casing still remaining at the top of Kephra's pyramid, we know that the workers worked from the bottom. Up. The Great Pyramid was stripped of its casing from about 1200 BC to about 1200 AD. In 1196 AD, an Arab historian, Abd al Latif al Baghdadi, sorry, I probably butchered that pronunciation, records that Karakush, the Arab appointed governor of the Egyptian city of Cairo and working for the Egyptian ruler, began to quarry the smaller pyramids at Giza for building stone. So it's a fair guess to say that there was nothing left to take from the Great Pyramid. Its limestone casing was, after all, about as perfect of stone as you could get. But while all this was going on, at least for a while, no one was looking to or even thinking about exploiting the pyramids for the treasure that may or may not have still been inside. It wasn't until the early 800s AD, when the son of the famous Abyssinian Caliph Harun al-Rashid, a man known to us today as al-Mamun, was convinced it was so. The seventh Abyssinian Caliph was convinced by members of his royal court into believing that the massive stone pyramids in Egypt in fact hosted treasures of unfathomable value. As the war between the Abbasids and the Byzantine Empire continued on, the Caliph knew that vast treasures would pay for a larger army, and hopefully victory against those infidel Byzantines. So he dispatched a work crew to attempt to burrow into the pyramids and bring back whatever treasure they found. But this task proved much harder than the Caliph must have originally thought. His men were ill-equipped both with tools and knowledge for the job. Cutting into the pyramids was deemed impossible multiple times, but the caliph would not take no for an answer. Again and again he ordered his men to keep trying. Eventually, after much hard labor and money was spent, the Arabian work crews finally worked their way into the pyramid and found something. A tunnel about a hundred feet into the pyramid. They followed this tunnel up and into the grand gallery, and all the way up through to the king's chamber. They burst inside, excited and expectatedly looked around. It's quite possible that these men were the first men to enter that room for two thousand years. I can't even begin to imagine what that must have felt like probably something like claustrophobic, old and eerily haunted. But the treasures that the men were told would be there were nowhere to be found. The room was completely empty. Al-Mamun's big expedition turned out to be nothing but a massive waste of time and money. There was one outcome, though. The Great Pyramid of Giza was now open. Anyone who dared to could follow the Arabs' footsteps and venture inside. But those who dared to enter the Great Pyramid were few and far between. Even men like Sir John Mandeville, a British man and one of the greatest travelers of the Middle Ages. Despite the fact he spent more than 30 years traveling in Egypt, he was unable to bring himself ...to enter the Great Pyramids. In 1350 AD, as he stood in front of them, he said he was afraid to enter the pyramids... ...because they were rumored to be full of serpents. This is definitely a possibility. The pyramids would have offered perfect cover for snakes looking to get out of the Saharan sun. But it's also possible that locals or the Arabs had fabricated how many snakes were actually in the pyramids to deter people from entering. The pyramids were first brought into the modern scientific community by a professor of astronomy at Oxford University named Mr. John Greaves. Funded entirely out of his own pocket, the professor left London in 1637 to thoroughly examine, study, and measure these massive monuments. In 1646, he published his findings in what was called Pyramidographia. His study unleashed a flurry of scientific inquiries of the Giza Plateau by scientists from all over Europe. But by far, one of the most famous visits to the Great Pyramids, if not the most famous, was made by that infamous French general, Napoleon Bonaparte. During the Egyptian campaign of Napoleon's conquests in 1798, just before the famous Battle of the Pyramids, it was rumored that the French general not only entered the Great Pyramid, but spent a night in the king's chamber. The story of Napoleon's subsequent nightmares and visions soon became synonymous with his Egyptian campaign. Whatever Napoleon experienced in the Great Pyramid was so terrifying that when he emerged the following morning, it looked like he had seen a ghost, and he would not speak of what happened in there, ever. Even on his deathbed, when asked about what happened in the pyramid, Napoleon said nothing, stating that no one would believe him if he told them. While this certainly makes for a great story, it is fictitious. Napoleon, in fact, never entered the Great Pyramid. His private secretary described Napoleon's encounter at the Great Pyramid. On the 14th of July, Bonaparte left Cairo for the pyramids. He intended spending three or four days in examining the ruins of the ancient necropolis of Memphis, but he was suddenly obliged to alter his path. This journey to the pyramids, occasioned by the course of war, has given opportunity for the invention of a little piece of romance. Some ingenious people have related that Bonaparte gave audiences to the Mufti and the Olmeyas, and that on entering one of the Great Pyramids, he cried out, Glory to Allah! God only is God! And Muhammad is his prophet! Now the fact is that Bonaparte never even entered the Great Pyramid. He never had any thought of entering it. I certainly should have accompanied him had he done so, for I never quitted his side a single moment in the desert. He caused some persons to enter into one of the Great Pyramids while he remained outside, and received from them on their return an account of what they had seen. In other words, they informed him there was nothing to be seen. Nevertheless, the story about Napoleon entering the Great Pyramid only added to its allure and charm to the rest of the world. But Napoleon's visit to the Great Pyramid was not the most important thing that came out of his Egyptian campaign. For it was on this campaign that the ancient Egyptian world was suddenly opened to the modern world. This happened with the discovery of the Rosetta Stone. With lines of text in Egyptian hieroglyphics, Greek, and another Egyptian dialect, this discovery suddenly allowed the modern world to understand the writings of Egypt. While Egyptian writing never held any sort of prestige on the world stage of writing, Greek certainly did. Greek was a language that was still around in the 1800s and beyond. Even to this day it is viewed as one of the Great Classical Languages. The discovery of the Rosetta Stone brought other men to study Egypt, and the pyramids more closely. One of these men, who greatly increased our knowledge of the pyramids, was a British colonel and future general, Howard Vissy. He spent seven months studying the pyramids, measuring them and recording everything he found in a three-volume book set in 1837. He and his men found and reopened the hole created by al-Mu'alm's men in his attempt to plunder the pyramid. He also rediscovered the ventilation shafts in the king's chamber. Through his discoveries, more astonishing discoveries about the pyramids were made. We still don't honestly understand the magnitude, brilliance, and impressiveness of the Great Pyramids, but we got a glimpse of it through the research and discoveries by General Visa. From his research, Sir John Herschel, a British astronomer, proposed that the Great Pyramid of Giza was aligned perfectly with the galaxy. The rediscovery of the ventilation shafts in the King's Chamber helped prove this idea. He noted that the narrow passageways pointed exactly at a polar star. From this, and tracking the movement of the stars, historians and astronomers could determine the exact date that the Great Pyramid was constructed. This revelation shocked the known world. Ancient peoples were always deemed as savages with no knowledge of the world, how it worked, or any intricate knowledge that it possessed. But suddenly, the opposite was now true. Not only were these men educated in the intricate workings of the universe, but they were well versed enough to construct their buildings accordingly. The discovery of the Rosetta Stone, the findings of General Visa and John Herschel, and the discovery of King Tut's tomb in the Valley of the Kings less than a century later, thrust ancient Egypt back into the world spotlight. Now, scientists, historians, explorers, and treasure hunters alike had an entire new field to tap into. And for the past century, the Great Pyramid of Giza has been at the center of historical study. And for good reason. The pyramids is one of the most visited places on the planet, and not just from the scientific community, The tourism surrounding the Great Pyramids is astounding. I have some pictures of what the Giza Plateau and the Great Pyramids look like today. It is certainly not the traditional look that we are accustomed to seeing. The Giza Plateau is being overrun with hotels, shops, restaurants, and many other tourist attractions. But I can't blame the Egyptians for taking advantage of the tourism. The Great Pyramids is on my bucket list of places to go, and frankly it should be on everyone's. Going to see this piece of history, which has stood the test of time, should humble us and remind us here in the modern world just how little we actually know. The massive stone tomb still baffles mathematicians, architects, historians, scientists, and the general public alike even to this day. Perhaps the mystery of the Great Pyramid of Giza is one that is not meant to be unraveled. Scientists and archaeologists will undoubtedly continue to try and unravel it. And one day, who knows, there may be a new discovery somewhere in Egypt that will hold the key to unlocking the Great Pyramid. But perhaps not. Perhaps it is just enough to admire the tomb for what it is. The single greatest structure ever to have been built and the only man-made thing to stand the test of time. And I'm okay with that. Leaving the ancient world to hold on to some of its secrets is perhaps something we can do today to honor the men and women of antiquity and their work. That concludes our visit to the Great Pyramid of Giza. For now. With new discoveries continuing in the sands of the Egyptian desert even to this day, it is highly possible that we will have to do another episode on the Great Pyramid, or any of the other Egyptian wonders on this list for that matter, when such a discovery is brought back to light. But for now, we will leave the Great Pyramids behind us, and as promised, we will look at what must have been the inspiration for the Great Pyramid. There were in fact two Grand Pyramids constructed before the Great Pyramid, both of which are still standing today, and both of which offered inspiration for Pharaoh Khufu. They are perhaps some of the oldest buildings in the world still standing today. They are the Step Pyramid of Josur at Saqqara, and the Bent Pyramid at Dashur.